Hey, Pastor Jeff, back with you. Thanks again for making the time to uh, tune in and listen. Hopefully this is a valuable resource as we try, uh, try to provide people's stories to make our stories better. To learn more about our denomination, our local church, but how we can get involved in the community, being followers of Jesus, and uh, one now with a tremendous story, is Russ Gonzalez. Russ, welcome in. Thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, really glad to be able to be here. And I love the way you say hearing other stories to make our story better. That's that's an awesome line. Well, we're trying to uh, do that. I think uh, being teachable is one of the most important uh assets that we can exhibit, especially in this culture and climate. And so I just want to start right there yeah. with uh, education and clergy development, where you provide leadership for the Wesleyan denomination. How important is it that pastors are teachable? Oh, well, I think, uh, if, if, especially as a holiness denomination, we have this presumption that God can make us better. And so uh, if, if, that's, if that's the case, we better be able to learn every day in every way uh, throughout the entirety of our lives. So, yeah, I think being teachable and uh, humble about it and embracing it, because sometimes we all know the lessons we learn are, are uh, sometimes painful, uh, yeah. I think is kind of core to really being a follower of Christ, you know, becoming more like him. And I feel as though vulnerability has kind of been a buzzword lately, which I think we need to be vulnerable. However, without accountability, sometimes it gets lost and we just kind of vomit uh, proverbially on one another and we're okay right. with it. But right. Uh, right. that accountability cleans it up. Can you just talk to me how you have learned to not only be vulnerable, but to allow people to point out your blind spots? Uh, of course, the a challenging thing as well. You know, it's, it's not the top of one's favorite to do this is like, how can I help someone point out the, the, the some of the rough stuff in my life? You hope to keep that posture towards God. But to be honest, because I know it's important. And I know back when I was teaching, you had these end of course valuations, right? And a lot of times professors you know, dread those just because nobody likes having everybody evaluate you. But I really got the point where I really appreciated those a lot because it really helped me see things that maybe I would never see or couldn't see it helped me understand how people were seeing and experiencing me so much so that i made up my own um, mid-course evaluation i used to tell students hey you do this at the end of the semester and that helps the next class but it's not helping you so we'll do it halfway through there might be something that at least gives you a little extra bonus benefit during the last eight weeks of the class right and so in that i just tried to in my own life quite frankly literally ask people that i that i consider uh trustworthy and wise that know me well enough to be able to give me some insight. Hey, tell me where's somewhere in my life. That's a growth spot. Right. And, uh, I, you know, call it a growth spot euphemistically. It could be something that I really need to knock out of my life, but just try to ask them to say, Hey, is there something is there that I do or say or behave or in a way that I really should look at uh, kind of developing in. And I found people, uh, very kind and very, uh, honest to help with that. And then, you know, I, you try to do your best then to follow follow that insight into new and better you. Uh, but I, I'll do that regularly, and then I'll try to capitalize on what we all have, those kind of annual work evaluation, to make that a moment when, hey, what what can I learn about myself and, and, and uh, make me a better me for the sake of others and myself? Yeah, I remember being at a youth camp, and the speaker said, you may not want to listen to me, and that's okay, but the person next to you might want to hear what God's going to say through me. So make sure that you are uh, respectful of the message that they're trying to learn. For yeah, you, yeah, yeah. How do you cultivate that within your own leadership? 
that some people might say, Russ, I know that I have that. Uh, but there are others that they are definitely leading or impacting. How important is it that we walk humbly uh, before our God, but certainly with those that are trying to provide leadership into our lives? Um, so so are, you, are you asking like how you do that with those that, that are over you and responsible for you or how you do that with people under your yeah. care? Well, I'm speaking more for you, people under your care. That, okay, got gotcha, you, uh, got gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, one is I think it helps uh, to be able to tell that story, not because it's a story, but it's something I actually try to do and also to give examples of it. I know uh, what, one thing I do, because usually in a ministry role and you're working with other ministers, there's kind of a baseline of maturity and desire to at least become more like Christ, right? Yeah. And so there's kind of a, uh, my current uh, boss, Wayne Schmidt, our general superintendent, he talks about uh, mutual accountability, you know? And so because we're all servants of Christ, we have roles that we serve in that we need to function in. But as brothers and sisters in Christ, we really have a mutual accountability. So sometimes with those that are directly in my care, I'll, I'll ask them, what do they think are their growth areas? Usually we have a pretty good inkling. I might note a couple others that said, hey, this, you might think about this, but then I'll say, how about me? I mean, I know this is weird if I'm your boss and everything, but I'm honest, I, I would love to hear your perspective. Where might I grow for myself and where might I grow in ways that would help you be a better you, more like Christ, as well as better at your work and things like that? So I think starting with myself, sometimes I'll do that. I hope and I think that kind of de-escalates the usual awkwardness of having those uh, uh, conversations about, you know, they're not confrontational, but they and not rebuking really, but they're just like hard conversations, like the book titled Hard Conversations. I think that helps do that. And I try to do that. Uh, it takes a little of the awkwardness out of it uh, uh, and maybe normalizes a little. And then hopefully they'll embrace that kind of self-evaluation in their circles as well. And it spreads. I think that's really good. And uh, Russ Gonzalez, make some time. Wesleyan.org is where you can find more information. You're part of the executive cabinet. Now, I just want to back up. Uh, I am one of two local churches that are Wesleyan within the state of Vermont. Uh, probably over half of those that attend our church do not really understand what a Wesleyan is. And even though I try to explain it, yeah. um, how would you explain what is a Wesleyan? Um, well, if they don't know, anything about you know the history of, of of christianity and they don't know about methodism or anything like that um and our history like that usually they just say we're a bunch of people that love god love each other and try to help through the hope and holiness of jesus christ transform ourselves transform others transform churches and communities and so hopefully if they recognize we're serious about uh, being loved by god and loving them and loving god um, that's appealing enough to at least be curious to engage with it. Um, so that's, I mean, that's the kind of the basic one. So many people don't even know what, it, you know, what churches really are sometimes. But if they know a little bit about churches, they say, well, we were kind of Wesleyan Methodists that left over slavery and, and, and uh, women's rights and, and equality and ministry. And we were teetotalers back then and prohibitionists. And so we were really reform minded. But we also had this element where we like to pursue God in a way that not only do we want to be rescued by God in salvation, but we want to be transformed by God into becoming more like him in, in, uh, in holiness and uh, becoming like Christ. So 
That's that yeah. would be my short pitch. <laughs> and that and that's why I'm a Wesleyan, and because we were against slavery and we were for right. women in ministry and shared right. leadership. One of the terms that you just used that it used to be the big term that we always talked about, but it seems as though it's too intimidating now. That is the word holiness. Some people right. associate that with you're saying you can be uh sinless and perfect but what i would suggest is no we're just sold out for jesus but yeah. define that word holiness for that that local audience yeah well i tell you what that is a, the language we use to describe the realities of the gospel is is a, a tricky business some people have a whole different dictionary in their head when they hear certain words than we might have in ours right yeah. so yeah. i probably actually might not even use that word uh but the idea that if we want to become more like god in what ways is God perfect and wonderful and loving? And so how are we going to become perfectly loving and wonderful to the best of our ability through the power of God working through us? So becoming like Christ um, is becoming holy. And I think that's the content in, of holiness, right? And so that, that's how I try to explain it uh, for folks that aren't steeped in uh, our literature and, and, and our uh, particular tradition. So a question that I have, uh, the executive director of education and clergy development, that's kind of a long title Yeah, yeah. With, a lot of, with a lot of responsibility. I just look at the Wesleyan schools of higher institution, whether it's Kingswood, Indian, Wesleyan, Oklahoma, Southern, or Houghton. I think I named all five. Yeah. It's been a difficult time. How concerned yeah. are you about the institutions of higher learning within the Wesleyan denomination? Well, Quite frankly, uh, I almost never use the word concerned as I do uh, inspired hmm. by. Wow. Um, if one of the things when I first began to go to the, the board meetings at those schools and I'm on their boards is I was, uh, I suspected it and you hope for it, but I was overwhelmed by the warm hearted, passionate, focused, kingdom building mindset of the boards. Uh, you know, uh, two thirds of them are Wesleyan, another third are folks like that that aren't even in the Wesleyan church on our boards. And so they were in, it was an inspiration to me how clearly focused and committed they were to the gospel and also the, the beliefs and the message and the mission of the Wesleyan church. Um, so that part and the administrations as well, the, our schools are filled with spirit filled, serious, mature, wise Christians who have some amazing expertise in all kinds of fields because of it, the educational yeah, dynamic. Yeah who care about our students and the students that come to those schools, you know, most of them aren't Wesleyan, right? We, we hardly have enough Wesleyan teenagers uh, to, to pack them all out, though we should try Wesleyan churches that are listening. Um, <laughs> but they do this unbelievable uh, uh, amplification of the discipleship that happened in the home inside of those schools through the spiritual formation and the, the chapels and the spiritual lives of the professors. And so, uh, Oftentimes we forget and we'll hear about some controversy or something a student does as if what some random 19 year old does depicts everything. Or we won't like how somebody handles something or the way they said it. And we'll forget that the reality is maybe they stumbled in their rhetoric. Maybe they made a mistake in a management moment. But forgetting these are diehard committed Christians who are passionate for Christ in the kingdom and building the kingdom via the Wesleyan church. So um, there's. Challenges economically, higher ed's a tough space to be in. But when it comes to mission, uh, all of our presidents, all of our boards, and their commitment to Christ and to the mission is is really, it's inspiring. It's just unbelievable. And so that's what our schools are like, and we're lucky to have them. 
Yeah, and Russ, thank you for sharing that. And I know for me, um, there was 93 through 97 at the time, Bethany Bible College, yep. which it was small enough that I got that focus that I needed, but it was nurturing where I could just grow in my own faith or foundation so I could just share out of that experience something that was legitimate and authentic. And um, mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. My son is 19, and uh, some of the choices he has made, we're just like, I'm glad we can't base everything he does on our family name right my right, daughter's right. my daughter's 17 and she's considering uh indiana wesleyan as one of her options in a, right. a year or two so when i look at this title education and clergy development i do think of higher institution learning clergy development i just wonder um what does that mean in a nutshell do you take people from uh, candidates for vocational ministry through the ordination process, or what? What all does that encapsulate? Yeah, it's it's, it's it has a little more than it has in the past. In 2012, it used to be education and ministry, and so it was the education and then kind of the credentialing aspect. And they added clergy development because of a uh, a sense of also bringing clergy care and development to the to the picture, right? And so in that space, um, there's like an overlap in the education. There's there's ministry education and there's higher education. There's some overlap there, obviously. Um, but we help uh, facilitate, empower, and partner with district boards of ministerial development and local churches for when a person feels called in a, a, new, a new era, a new chapter, a new level of their discipleship into ministry um, and all kinds of ministry, what do they need to do to be able to be equipped for a ministry credential all the way to ordination. So we really participate with them in that on the credentialing side. And then also have been partnering with districts and churches uh, across North America to develop clergy care resources, practices and engagement. And so like the gathering that we all have and participate in every four years, that's really turned towards the well-being, the thriving and the uh, building the capacity of our clergy and the resilience. Um, and a lot of other programs to do that as well. So, you know, a lot of time uh, ministers will preach about the abundant life, but sometimes because we like helping people so much, we forget that it's for us too, right? And so yeah. helping ministers embrace that as well uh, for themselves and for the sake of their families and their churches too, because letting God do that work in you and help you be whole and healthy and thriving is good for you, obviously, but it's it's great for your family and your church too. So uh, that's what we try to help foster, facilitate, and resource the best that we can. Yeah, it's amazing how many pastors do not have a Sabbath or um, exhibit that day of rest. Yeah, we did a year of Sabbath emphasis a couple years ago because of that. It's like the fourth commandment. It's a big old fat commandment right in the middle. And we'd like, we'd never dream of breaking the others. And that one we get a little sketchy on. So, yep, exactly. Hey, Russ, you, we spoke off air about Lloyd and Rhonda Moore and Lloyd's yes. passing and it's just so difficult. And uh, can you just talk, because um, Lloyd and Rhonda Moore were part of the standard denomination that merged with the oh, Wesleyans, yeah. which is the same as uh, the local church that I pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just walking, seeing Rhonda's resilience and strength. I know cancer and death isn't new to anyone, but seeing somebody exhibit just the strength, the knowledge of who God is. Could you just talk to to that a, a little bit? Yeah, I tell you, you know, watching how Lloyd lived and also how he died. You know, you think of Wesley looking at the Moravians when they thought the ship was going down. He lived like that. But Rhonda's presence and uh, faith and strength through that, clearly pain and hurt and loss that she she felt and 
and we shared in with her all around. Um, but she was such a woman of faith and living out Christ in her life that even in her pain, she was always a blessing. And, um, and in that, even I, I think she's continues to, to move into new arenas and new areas of, of ministry expansion for herself. Uh, and I don't know how much of that exactly uh, is born of the, the, the fruit of the seeds of the pain that of some of the things they went through as well as what God's calling her to. But yeah, she's, she's a great example. I think of uh, uh, she would have been one of the Moravians in that ship, right? That would have been so inspiring how she faced uh, the prospect of death, or in this case, the death of her husband, um, with faith and perseverance and pain, but showing us all how that God goes with us and we can still reflect Christ in the middle of some of the worst situations of our lives. And Russ Gonzalez graciously uh, spending some time with us on Instagram. It's Russ.Gonzalez on Instagram, Russ.Gonzalez. But Russ, when I think about clergy care this past year, though different in a lot of ways than what Rhonda experienced, there has been a sense of isolation, mm -hmm. loneliness, and tremendous loss. Mm -hmm. How have you seen that within your position? And how do you think the denomination and pastors can really resource and let one another know that uh, we do care and we are not alone? Yeah, I, I, especially the alone factor. I mean, the historically research talks about how isolating ministry can be because sometimes you're when you're seen with a collar on, even if you don't wear one, right? It, it has a, a little bit of a distancing dynamic, yeah. um, and then to have a literal distancing dynamic, especially for I know there's some pastors that are kind of introverts. They 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 they're great preachers and introverts, but being with the people is, is not always their favorite thing. But so many pastors are such introverts that not having a live three-dimensional human beings there in front of you in the congregation really was difficult. And then, of course, so many people not only uh, lost family and friends in the, the pandemic, but they're caring for a church at a weird distance. And their congregation is losing family and friends, right, in different ways. And so I think it created a uh, an immense additional load on our clergy that I think pushed a lot of us more deeply into trusting Christ and leaning on God in ways that maybe we should have been doing already, but it's, it made it so acute that it was like, okay, God, clearly we're not, I'm not figuring this out and apparently nobody else is. So help, you know, and, and God helped in that. And, um, but by the same token, important to realize I've, I said, uh, this time season has been, it's been snowball stress. It just keeps collecting on the snowball. Yeah. So we've been trying to encourage uh, pastors and, uh, and congregations to help their pastors. Make sure you take your Sabbath. Make sure you take your vacation days. Maybe plan some extra time off for your own strength and resilience in the middle of the storm. Um, at the start of this, I wrote a little piece that had the article from, uh, I mean, the image from Rembrandt of Christ on the Sea of Galilee. And all the disciples, some were pulling ropes, some were puking over the side, some were doing this. There's a few of them sitting back at the boat, even though the waves are crashing just yeah. hanging out and listening to Jesus. And boy, was it a time in the storm that that became really, for me, poignant. It's like, all else, regards to the waves, I need to be hanging out and spending time with Jesus even more clearly, intentionally, and kind of continually than before. And I think that was a, a, a common experience, punctuated by unbelievable ministry moments, right? Right, right. yeah. I, I hear so, so many of those that happen too, giving, expanded ministry. I know one little church that had about 75 to 100 people in it in Southern Indiana. 
he set up a really kind of what you're doing, a really sweet production studio, started preaching. And he had over a thousand people tuning in wow. regularly from all over the world uh, for his services, even though he had locally church about a hundred. So, you know, there's so many yeah. stories like that of ministry expansion and, and uh, um, God doing his work, which we know he does regardless of what the waves are like. So um, that's probably a long answer to a short question, but <laughs> that's, that's some of the stuff I experienced and saw happening and, and uh, thoughts about how we've been working through it. And that's so encouraging. And I know for our local church, uh, we're about that same size, 75 mm -hmm. to 100. And we had mm -hmm. our best financial giving year that we've ever experienced. And I we know. had to go, everything was online because we were renting a middle school. And so when the pandemic right. hit in Vermont, it's pretty strict. But we've just been able to um, utilize technology. And I know for me, I was or am one of those extroverts that I need to talk and meet with people because right. uh, I just love learning and hearing stories. And so now we do it via camera instead of over a, a dinner table. But yeah, um, exactly. Russ, when I think about um, who you are, the position you have, quite frankly, I was a little bit intimidated with the thought of interviewing you. No. <laughs> but then I was reminded that we all have a story of how God yeah. raises us up or when we became a Christian. Could you just share that story of when you became a Christian? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really blessed to get to grow up in a, a Christian home. Uh, my dad was a minister and worked in Christian higher ed. My mom uh, worked in uh, Christian ministry for a good chunk of her life. And it's just a wonderful a lover of God, you know. And so, you know, I grew up in the water that I swam in was all of that. But my earliest recollection was, it turns out I was probably four years old for my parents' sake because I was at a camp. I remember this sawdusty uh, kind of floor stuff or tent thing in the summer camp in Michigan. And I remember hearing something about hell and bad stuff about it. And I remember thinking as a little kid, like, well, I don't want to do that. I like Jesus. And I remember going to the altars, kind of fire insurance, you know. And, yeah. uh, but, Two, growing up a family like that, just increasingly God reveals himself. And more. And I remember early in my teens having that feeling like, okay, am I, gonna, am I in or am I not, right? I'm really in. And, uh, and I remember just saying, yeah, I'm in. And then God punctuated it again with the, the kind of clarity. And uh, my freshman year of college, like, hey, would you work for me in, in, the, in our business in the church here and be a minister? And yes. And so... God has always been so faithful um, to tap my shoulder, and um, he's always loved me so uh, diligently and so faithfully and so generously, you know, uh, way beyond anything I could ever imagine or deserve. And every turn, if the, to the degree that I embrace it and then make the turns with him, he just takes me on these unbelievable adventures in the kingdom things. People I get to be with and meet. And, and the places I get to go and the things that I get to do for the kingdom, never would have imagined from the simplest things of when you get to perform a wedding, right? With There's a groom and a, and a bride and you're right there. You get to be in it, right? You get to be in baptisms, but then the other things beyond it that you get to do. And it's just like, um, yeah, it, just embracing God's love for you and his plan for you and doing your best to listen to and follow it is just an, an unbelievable adventure. So I, I just... Am overly blessed. Yeah, certainly is an adventure and one that uh, I'm so glad that we can hide and abide in who Jesus is uh, yep. during during this storm, during this time. Um, 
when I when I think about the uh, denomination, and perhaps I need to, I say this jokingly, but turn in my credentials <laughs> because I think it's still the same. But how uh, Dr. Schmidt said he wants to be known or have us known more as a movement than a yeah. denomination. Yeah. How important is it? How does how does that look for the Wesleyan denomination to be seen, viewed, and used as a movement of God? Yeah. Well, I've heard some people say that. Uh, that denominations have never turned into movements. They don't see evidence of that. I think there is some, but I always like to say, hey, Wesley was an Anglican to the end. And that right. seemed like a pretty good movement he was part of, right? <laughs> and so I think, you know, the obvious piece is how do we collectively listen to God, follow his leading, and move where he's moving, right? So uh, that's a, a prerequisite, right? For us right. to be able right. to kind of be that kind of kingdom expanding movement. Um, but then I think beyond that, it's being open-handed and generous. What we learn and do, share with everybody that we can, other ministries, other denominations, just be open-handed and generous. And I think that is uh, uh, has a multiplying attractive force in spirit, so to speak. Uh, but then also just be attentional about it and actually, uh, you know, count things. Like uh, who who are the people that we are engaging with and moving in them on the discipleship path, right? How are we doing that with people personally and professionally and, and, and through churches, right? Um, are, we, are we asking those people how God's leading them into ministry in the marketplace or into the pulpit or to wherever God's right, calling? Right. And I think just being faithful to actually keep moving and tensioning those relationships, redemptive relationships with actual questions and actual encouragement and actual equipping uh, to do the works of the church and the kingdom. So that spirit and then getting real intentional about how we engage, equip and mobilize people, which is, in my opinion, a lot of what's happening and a lot of what Dr. Schmidt's yeah. engaging us in. And, and so it's making disciples. That's so good. Um, I, I apologize if this is a old screen, but I think it'll get the point across with Wesley Seminary. Why did the denomination choose to begin its own seminary? I think it's extremely valuable. However, I have been told maybe I should go back and pursue uh, some more education. <laughs> and so I kind of balk at that because, well, anyway, I do. But Wesley Seminary, can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. There was there, there was this interesting moment in uh, in the Wesleyan Church and in the life of Indiana Wesleyan that had a uh, um, where a conversation was about another seminary possibly coming and being part of the school and providing the seminary kind of ministry of education at the graduate level. And in that conversation, um, it became clear, and, and some of your listeners will know this name, Keith Jury, he said, well, you only have one seminary card to play, so let's make sure we play the right one, right? Because you only do it once, so you don't right. start over. And um, it was really just a collection of, at that time, and the people and the resources and feeling a leading. And there had been a couple other attempts and, and, and uh, considerations of doing that. And it was just like as a time such as this, I think God was uh, helping encourage, equip, and empower us to uh, dive in and approach the subject and look at it. And so uh, the strength and vibrancy of Indiana Wesleyan at the time and the, the resources that were there uh, administratively, et cetera, really gave the space. And, uh, and Henry Smith helped give that green light as the president then. Uh, for a number of us there at the time with folks all across the denomination to think about, conceive of what would be the best way to equip ministers in that next level now, right? 
And so we uh, really had a real advantage of not having to change something that had been there for decades. Yeah. Start with a clean slate and keep focused on the missional aspect, equipping of pastors for local churches, and um, also in a way that kept people in their context. So I think that and integrating the curriculum into the ministry practice that the persons were involved in really helped so that not everybody can move and come go somewhere for three, four years to do a Master's of Divinity. And uh, that let us be in a space where we could offer MDiv. It was like, uh, it was like, go to seminary, take your church with you, and you don't have to move, right? right? And so uh, a lot of those factors built together and the kind of the, the, the context and season of, of seminaries around the country uh, just gave us a great opportunity. And God just blessed like crazy. You know, Wayne Schmidt was the first uh, head of the seminary, now Colleen Durr, and they, they've just been, did unbelievable things and have grown that uh, fledgling seminary into uh, one of the leading seminaries uh, in the in the country, really. So it was uh, it was quite a, a watching God do that uh, from a close up seat was fun to fun to fun to see. So. Well, Russ, we thank you so much for making the time. We have. Oh, I think I froze. Russ, I think you're still yes. there. My internet kind of glitched. I can out, hear you. Though. I can hear you. So I apologize, but um, a couple more questions. That, good. A couple questions, then we'll get you out. And I did. Uh, the Wesleyan Church in New England is pretty strong. Or I'm sorry, the Nazarene Church in New England is pretty strong. Has there been any conversation about the Wesleyans and Nazarenes working together for some of those institutions of higher learning? Um, you know, not a lot of real formal kind of discussions. There's a lot of camaraderie on between the faculties and different leaders in higher ed from those institutions. Um, they're, they're structured a little different. Uh, the Nazarene schools are kind of uh, in, connected to a cluster of districts around them. And ours are, you know, uh, they have regions, but they're tied to the whole denomination. And um, ours, fortunately, are spread out geographically in a way that, uh, you know, they don't have to be on top of each other. But um, but those other schools are kind of uh, warm-hearted colleagues, uh, you know, that are our kingdom-kissing yeah. cousins, so to speak. And uh, But there's really not been a lot of... of uh, uh, talk about kind of mergers. Now it's in a new season of hi in higher ed across the board, all higher ed, it's a, it's a right. difficult time. And so um, out of necessity, sometimes those conversations emerge, um, but hopefully we can uh, at least partner together to keep building the kingdom through higher ed, even in all of our spaces for both denominations. So that's good. Russ, and uh, just a couple of personal questions, hopefully not too personal, but yeah. local church, what what has it been like for you to attend a local church? Have you been in person or when did you go back to in-person uh, church? Yeah, just um, uh, I go to College Western Church in Marion and they were following kind of the guidelines, you know, so there's some of those moments where we're together and then it, cases went up. And so then we went back to online. Yeah. Um, so it's been, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm fortunate to have a really great preacher and Steve Deneff is my pastor. So, you know, going online and watching him is still a treat. Uh, so, but just of the last few, oh, I don't know, a couple months now that it's been open uh, uh, full uh, where we could get back in and, and together. And so that, again, I'm an extrovert, if you couldn't tell. Um, that's been nice to see everybody again. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, uh, old family reunion moment when you get to get in there together. Because even if you're online at church, you're obviously not online with everybody in the pew right, with you, right. right? So it's not like it's a 500 person Zoom meeting. Um, 
so yeah, th so that's been great. That's kind of been our journey, like a lot of churches, uh, you know, open, closed, open. Okay, now we're really open. So um, the vaccinations have been a, a, a big blessing in that front. They certainly have. Russ Gonzalez, the Executive Director for Education and Clergy Development with the Wesleyan denomination, wesleyan.org. And I just need to ask you, I feel I need to ask you, yeah, yeah. your personal spiritual disciplines, does it begin with waking up early? When do you find that time or make that time to have that consistent pattern of behavior? Yeah, uh, I'll tell you, my entire life, uh, my greatest asset in my uh, kind of personal devotional life is persistence more than uh, consistency, yes. right? I remember I hearing, like <laughs> and I've, I remember once wanted to write a book called Stop Doing Daily Devotions and Save Your Soul, you know, and <laughs> that sometimes it's, now I talk to God, quite frankly, you know, I feel like I'm talking to him all the time, right? And, and, and I, I pray as much as I can, and as much as God leads me to, uh, and I read the scriptures and have cool devotional things on apps, but I cycle through stuff. So I don't know if this is bad or helping some of you out there that are, have this personality, but I'll have a season where I'll use a particular uh, book or particular tool or particular app. I really, with the proliferation of spiritual formation apps and things you can listen to, um, that has been kind of my go-to place, but I'm really more, uh, uh, you know, I'm touching in with God every day and talking to him as much as I can. But I have these chunks during the week where I'm able to spend uh, more focused, specific time uh, studying, thinking, listening to God. And I find a lot more now my times of exercise and walking and being in nature um, is real heavy duty conversation with God time um, as well. So I, I'm, I'm never going to quit trying to figure out ways to better connect with God and learn more about him. Uh, but I am one that's eclectic and I have been that way my whole life. And I finally resigned myself to that a, a couple decades ago. It's like, okay, I'll just keep trying more and better different things. And they all seem to help. So that's kind of how I do it. I like that a lot. It's actually kind of freeing for me to hear that you can, uh, just find Jesus where he's at. You don't have to stick to that method every single day, but, right. um, Russ, Russ Gonzalez, uh, Wesleyan.org, uh, the Education and Clergy Development Executive Director. Final question I have for you, Russ, is simply when so many people want to go back how things were before the pandemic, what pause do you give and what suggestions would you have for those to say, we can go back a certain way, but we need to learn from this experience so we can reach out to other people? Yeah, um, I think the the entire history of Christianity has been uh, always capitalizing on uh, trials and tribulation for new ways to spread the gospel, to bring Christ to folks, to bring the good news uh, to the world. You know, whether, it, you know, you think of Paul's shipwrecks and beatings and everything else, uh, everything turned into uh, something that was a new opportunity. And then even in the history of the church and the world, Christians have always been on the forefront of capitalizing on new innovations, think about the printing press, and also uh, innovating in new ministries in the face of, of uh, trauma and struggles. Yeah. From the early days during the plague in Rome, right, when the Christians stayed and helped people right, and right. therefore saved a lot of lives just by giving water and care, right, that's traumatic. But doing that, being Christ in the moments, regardless of what's going on around, um, is that's what we're about and that's how we operate. And so when thinking of going back in the church, it's like, I don't think you can ever think about going back. It's a forward focused faith yeah. 
to becoming like Christ until we all get there together to be with Christ and and uh, keep becoming like him. So um, capitalize. I mean, what you're doing right now and, and what so many people turn to instant. All of a sudden, I'm a TV preacher. Right. Uh, and don't abandon that. Embrace that and move forward and do more of that and do more of what you can do locally and together. And I just think it gives us an opportunity to not only uh, overcome obstacles, but in overcoming them, we've created whole new opportunities uh, to reach people. And because of this day and age and the nature of the Internet and technology to reach more and more people in more and more places than we maybe ever have before. So uh, I'm optimistic for it. I think don't, don't even look back unless it's just to take good notes on what you learned and then let's yeah. keep plowing ahead. So good. A privilege and honor to uh, have a conversation with you. And if I oh, might, mind. can I call on you to pray for us here in Vermont, Reverend Joel Taylor, Friendsbrook Wesleyan Church and myself here in Waterbury Center. Um, won't you just pray for us as we seek to reach a loss, but yeah. by living lives changed because of who Jesus is. Absolutely. Lord, thank you so much for your presence uh, in our lives and in our relationship and in our moment here together, um, even through technology. And um, for Jeff and Joel, as they lead congregations for our corner of the kingdom and our branch of your kingdom, um, we, Lord, we just ask that your spirit continues to pour out on them in the ways that invigorate them personally, that they feel like new men and new leaders and new ministers every day in a myriad of different ways. Give them comfort when they need them. Give it strength when they need it. Give them wisdom and discernment. Um, bless them and their families and the, those that are around them and their congregations. And Lord, let their burden be light and their ministry with you be a joy and that as they faithfully go through things and tackle things that can be tough, that they're fruitful and that they're uh, um, adventurous in the, the joy that they bring. And so I just ask that you continue to support, care for, love and connect them as you have for so many years and uh, move to them in special ways that reaches the state of Vermont and beyond. Open the hearts of the people around them to hear about you and uh, let them get to see that fruit and enjoy that work with you and for you. Uh, in, in totally new and, and uh, imaginative ways in the months and years ahead. We thank you for loving us first and most and last and for loving uh, Jeff and Joel up there in Vermont and just ask that you continue to uh, bless them and bless us as we follow you. Amen. Russ, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jeff. My pleasure.